Everything here at Keyboard Kimura is presented by OneBone, the first size-inclusive, big and tall brand. If you've been rocking with me for a while, you know I've been rocking with OneBone for a little bit now, and there are a bunch of reasons why. In addition to the fact that I straight up love their gear, from the different styles of pants and shorts, to the shirt varieties, hoodies, zips, the hot sauce, the whole collection, I'm in. But it's also because they understand that size doesn't matter, fit does. I'm a bigger guy and I carry it all in my belly, which meant for me, finding shirts that were long enough to not be revealing when I raised my arms or that kept me covered if I had to crouch down to pick something up was a challenge, but One Bone solved that. All the tops have added length to cover the gap between your shirt and your pants and everything is made from premium fabrics with tops ranging in size from medium to 8XL and bottoms going from a waist size of 30 to 65 inches. There is a sizing guide on the website that makes it easy to find the absolute right fit. And from flyweight to heavyweight and beyond, One Bone has got you covered. They offer free exchanges and returns to guarantee your perfect fit. And you can even buy now and pay later with four interest-free payments. On top of that, they're Canadian. And for me, that's important. As a One Bone ambassador, I've got you covered with a one-time promo code for 15% off your entire order. All you have to do is visit the link in the show notes, onebonebrand.com forward slash Spencer Kite, and enter the promo code Spencer Kite. That's my name, Spencer Kite, all caps, all one word, at checkout, and you get 15% off your entire order. It is, as I said, a one-time use code. But I'm confident that once you cop some One Bone gear and become part of the One Bone family yourself, you'll understand why my entire wardrobe consists of One Bone apparel. Go check out Drop 17, which hit the site a couple of days ago, featuring four new colors in the scoop and the V-neck t-shirts, plus the new Outwork pants in military green and black. I've got an order going in this week. You should too. One Bone. For big and all. Greetings and salutations. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Next Day Takeaways here on Keyboard Kimura, presented to you by One Bone. I'm your host, E. Spencer Kite, your friendly neighborhood Spencer man. And we are here to talk about UFC 293, which took place yesterday at Kudos Bank Arena in Sydney, Australia. We'll go through the results, we'll go through the takeaways, we'll do some matchmaking. We start with the main event and new. Sean Strickland is your UFC middleweight champion, earning a unanimous decision win over Israel Adesanya, 49-46 across the board for Strickland and new. Third win this year, clubhouse leader for fighter of the year. Lots to talk about there. We will get to that momentarily. Co-main event, Alexander Volkov defeats Tai Tuivasa by Ezekiel Choke at 4 minutes and 37 seconds of round two. For his third straight victory, Manel Cape defeats Felipe Dos Santos by unanimous decision, 30-27 and 29-28 twice for Starboy. Justin Taffa knocks out Austin Lane 1 minute and 22 seconds into the first round. And the main card opener, Tyson Pedro, defeats, excuse me, Anton Turkali by knockout, two minutes, 12 seconds into the opening round as well. 
on the prelims. Carlos Ulberg defeats Dawoon Jung by submission, rear naked choke, at 4 minutes 49 seconds of the third round. Featherweight bout, Chepe Marichal gets his second straight UFC victory in less than three months. TKO verbal submission due to an arm injury suffered by Jack Jenkins at 3 minutes 19 seconds of the second round. Jamie Malarkey earns a unanimous decision win over John McDessie in a close, competitive lightweight battle, 29-28 across the board. And in the final televised prelim, Nasrat Hakparast sweeps the scorecards 30-27 across the board against newcomer Landon Quinones. On the early prelims on Fight Pass, closed out in the welterweight division, Chuck Buffalo, Charlie Radke defeats Mike Diamond, Blood Diamond, by unanimous decision, 29-27 across the board, point deduction in the third round on Blood Diamond for multiple low blows. Catchweight bout of 149.75 pounds, technically, traditionally, I should say, featherweights, Gabriel Miranda defeats Shane Young by technical submission, putting the Kiwi to sleep 59 seconds into the opening round with a rear naked choke. And in the opener, Kevin Ducey defeats Kiefer Crosby also by rear naked choke. Also in the first round, four minutes, 49 seconds in. Those are your results. That is what UFC 293 looked like. I thought it was an entertaining card the whole way through. I thought there were some some moments that were tough. Obviously, we'll get into some of the post-fight interviews that weren't great. Weren't great at all. But on a fight front, in terms of the action in terms of what we saw in the cage outside of the Radke fight. This was a really entertaining night of fights to me. This was good finishes. There were some competitive fights, especially those two lightweight fights on the televised prelims between Hackbarast and Quinones and then Malarkey and McDessie. Two finishes quickly to start the main card. Great fight between Manel Cape and Felipe Dos Santos. Great performances to close things out. This was another one of those really great cards to me. And I understand that people want to object to a fight card with this little name power being on pay-per-view and costing the money as they are allowed to do, as it is their prerogative to do. Totally understand if you didn't want to pay for this, if you didn't think it was worth the value, but we got a good fight card. We got a bunch of good fights. And as I often say, as I will always say, If you know who these men and women are and you know what they are capable of, this felt like one of those cards where you could foresee some really good performances. Now, I am always going to be erring on the side of positivity. I am always going to be the ray of sunshine. I'm always going to be looking for those silver linings for reasons to tune in. But I do think this played out fairly according to script, if you will, like in terms of what we expected. The one real big surprise is the main event, and that makes it all the more interesting. So to me, this is a very entertaining fight card. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. The night went by relatively quickly. It didn't feel like a slog at any point. Loved the broadcast. We'll talk about that in a little bit as well. But that's it before we before we move on to the takeaways. Good card, good event. Really good to see the UFC get back to Sydney after a number of years away. Good event, good night. Let's get into these takeaways. Let's start with Charlie Radke and Manel Cape, because this one's easy. 
There's no place for what they said in the cage. There's no place for it. It doesn't need to be said. They shouldn't be saying those things. And all the people on Twitter, all the people that want to jump out and say, oh, all you snowflakes with your hurt feelings, fuck off. Okay? It's 2023. Stop with your bullshit. Stop with your, they're just words, all of that stuff. Everybody that has a objection to people responding the way they did and not wanting to hear that on their broadcast hasn't gone through anything that that group or any minority, any, any, any group that has been through struggle and strife and stereotypes and racism and hatred and vitriol and all of those things has gone through. Those people have never experienced it. And if they want to turn around and say, yeah, well, it was like this for me or whatever it was, miss me with it because it's unnecessary. There's so many words in the English language that you can use, that you can say. And I understand what Dana White is saying and what Charlie Charlie Radke said afterwards of like, you're caught up in the moment and you're in the cage and you're just in a fist fight and these things come out. But I think the point that a bunch of people made on Twitter in the moment of that was the first word that came out. That was the word that came to your head. So it's clearly part of your lexicon. It's clearly part of your vocabulary and you need to cut it out. You need to get rid of it because this is the double-edged sort of things, right? The UFC and these athletes want to walk around and carry themselves as the pinnacle of this sport and on the same level as some of these other sporting leagues and some of these other organizations, right? Well, this shit doesn't fly there. So we got to get rid of it here. And it can't just be, hey, he apologized. Hey, they apologized. They came out. We didn't press them. They said it. Something needs to be done. Now, the tricky part of this is that UFC fighters are independent contractors and trying to enforce it becomes a little difficult because what are you going to do? The UFC could very well cut Charlie Radke. I wouldn't object to it. They could cut Manel Cape. I wouldn't object to that either. I don't think it happens, but it's, it's a tricky ground for them because if they try to really enforce things, then it looks like they are acting upon independent contractors for stuff that hasn't been collectively bargained for a code of conduct that they just put in place. Now, I believe athletes have to sign this thing when they come into or it's part of contracts. And I don't know. I don't have UFC contracts in front of me. So anybody that does have knowledge, please let me know. If it is in there that by signing this contract for this fight, you agree to the UFC code of conducts and its policies and all of those things, then there's no there's no room for Charlie Radke or Manel Cape or anyone else, any other bad actor going forward to push back and say, hey, you can't. Nah. The easier thing though, the easier thing though, let's just do away with post-fight interviews. Like what do I, what, whatever comes of these things for every sporadic cool moment that we get of Nathan Diaz saying, Conor McGregor, you're stealing everything I worked for in a profanity laced speech that had to be bleeped out almost entirely on Fox. So it didn't even actually resonate. We get this garbage all the time, or we get a whole bunch of, yeah, I don't know. I'll fight whoever the UFC wants me to fight. Let's just skip it. We don't need it. We talk about, we don't need to talk to the losing fighter in these main events when they're concussed or they're just coming out of getting knocked out. We don't need to hear from them. And yes, 
There are moments where we get good things. Aljamain Sterling at UFC 292 delivered a very poignant, delivered a very impressive remarks about Sean O'Malley. But I could do without it. And it eliminates the possibility of this happening. There's nothing that we're gaining. There's nothing that we're earning and building from these things happening afterwards. No one else on this card said anything outside of Sean Strickland, who had some cool things to say and did well with his post-fight interview. Maybe interview the main event fighter. That's it. Everybody else, let's just keep it moving. I don't need to know what these folks have to say. I don't need to hear them call somebody out because 95% of the time it's wild like Kevin Doucet saying, hey, let me fight Ian Gary, which is just the weirdest, most reach for the stars, not happening ask that we've had in quite some time, probably since Dung Hyung Kim called out George St. Pierre. Let's just do away with them because then this garbage doesn't happen. Then I don't have to go through a cycle of wanting to throw Twitter and my phone out the window because I've got to see people trying to defend this garbage. And I've got to see smart people, good people, caring people battle against idiots on the internet. Now, we should all just be off the internet and turn off our internet, but it's part of our job that we need to be on social media and talking about these things as they happen. But like, let's just do away with it. Let's save the trouble. They haven't been good for quite some time. There's nothing new. Everybody always wants to talk about all the things that are stale and need to be changed and need to be fixed and revamped in the UFC. Let's do away with post-fight interviews. Let's just be done with them. I don't need Joe Rogan going in there and forgetting that Roman Kopilov fights at middleweight and dismissing his call out after he asked him who he wants to fight. And he said, Sean Strickland, like, let's just be done with it. It's the easy fix. We're not gaining anything. Have the people that are sitting at cage side doing the broadcast, talk about what happened. Give us that extra three, four, five minutes of analysis or setting up the next fight and be done with it. I'm done with it. I don't need post-fight interviews anymore. If you want to do the main event fighter, if that wants to be special, cool. I'm with you. It is the main event. It makes sense. Everything else, miss me with it. Announce them. Let them take a picture in the cage. Pan on them. Stay on them. Give us some analysis of who they are, what they did. Talk about who could be next. Those kinds of things. I don't need to hear from them. Secondly, we need to stop with the I think it's time we have a conversation about dot, dot, dot. Every time someone loses a fight or someone's fighter loses a fight. So I saw this morning that there was a, hey, it's it's time we have a conversation about Eugene Behrman because Israel Adesanya lost on Saturday night and he's now lost two of his last three fights in championship fights. And it just drives me crazy because... If you want to have a conversation about somebody that has helped guide Israel Adesanya to the middleweight title twice, led a number of athletes to a number of victories in the UFC into some title fights, is working with Alexander Volkanovsky pretty regularly now, helping further his career along, then let's have conversations about all of these coaches that haven't done any of those things. Let's start with those conversations, but that never comes up. So it's just prisoner of the moment horseshit. And it makes me so frustrated. And I know you can hear it. And I know you're probably tired of me coming on these, these shows 
and this platform and voicing these frustrations, but it takes away from this sport. It takes away from the discourse of this sport. It makes us look dumb when we want to question the bona fides of Eugene Behrman. Like up until this year, people talked about Huge as one of the best coaches in the sport. And now Izzy loses a couple of fights and a couple other guys have lost some fights. Fine. Sure. I got you. But all of a sudden we lose two fights and it's, Hey, we need to talk about this guy as if he ain't done shit. Now it wasn't a lot of people. And I did see a lot of smart, educated people pushing back and being like, cool. Here's how that conversation goes. He's one of the best coaches in MMA, but just the fact that we have it, just the fact that people think it's a thing that needs to be said. Now, I don't know if it's just to get engagement. I don't know if it's just to stir the pot. But even that, if that is the premise, if that is the idea, we need to stop this nonsense. We need to start having intelligent, intellectual, thoughtful, nuanced conversations about this sport instead of the junk that permeates social media. There are certainly smart conversations being held. I'm not saying there aren't. There are a ton of educated, smart, thoughtful, understanding people out there that have these conversations. But what happens is the only thing that gets framed out a lot of the time, or, or to me far too often is the junk is the stuff that doesn't matter. And I know this is a recurring thing for me, but we put so much time and energy and focus on stuff that doesn't matter on questioning things that don't need to be questioned. There is no question that Eugene Behrman is a fantastic coach. I'm not going to get into one of the best of all time or any of that because I hate doing those lists. And we'll get to that later this week when Harry Powell joins me on the Keyboard Kimura podcast to talk about greatness and how we measure it in MMA and how it's gone askew in these last bunch of years. But like we need to stop doing this, we got to have a conversation about. Fighters lose. It happens all the damn time. All the time. Nobody goes through this unscathed. We talk about it all the time. The best coaches in every sport suffer losses, have bad seasons, get knocked out of the playoffs, don't always win the championships. And we don't turn around after two losses and go, hey, we need to have a conversation about so-and-so in those stick and ball sports. So we need to stop doing it in MMA. Thirdly, we need to give fighters credit where it's due. I mentioned Aljamain Sterling's post-fight, both interview in the cage and media availability after UFC 292, where he made a point of not wanting to take away from Sean O'Malley's performance and wanting to say he did everything right. He did what he said he was going to do. He was the better man. Lift him up. It feels to me in the wake of Sean Strickland winning, there's been a lot of, how did this happen? What's wrong with Izzy? Sean didn't win that fight so much as Israel lost that fight. And I gotta say, it's, again, it's it's tough to sit here and see because Sean Strickland went to Sydney, Australia on relatively short notice for a championship fight against a two-time defending champion competing as close to home as he's going to get. 
and did exactly what he needed to do. Executed the game plan flawlessly. And listen, I agree that Israel Adesanya did not look his best on Saturday night. I'm sure we will hear things in the coming days, weeks, months about what's been going on with Izzy and some of the things that contributed to it. Huge talked at the media availability on Saturday night and said, look, I think there's some minor tweaks. If we run it back next week, I think we get a different result. We'll see. But on Saturday, September 9th, Sean Strickland was the far and away better fighter. And we have to give him credit for that. We have to lift him up and celebrate his performance rather than undercut it by questioning all the things that are wrong with Izzy and what he didn't do. And far too often in this sport, we're looking for ways to diminish things. And I don't know if it's because in this case, people don't like Sean Strickland. And I get it. Sean's a dick. Sean says things actively to provoke responses. He does some dumb stuff because ultimately I think he's got a whole bunch of stuff going on in his head that he needs years and years and years of therapy to deal with and figure out and sort out. But in that cage, since he's been back from his injury, which is not even three full years yet, he has been an excellent fighter and he did everything right on Saturday. Everything. Sure, he lost the second round, but it was largely due to lack of output. And then Eric Nixick got in his ass in the corner and said, we didn't come here to win a boring decision or lose a boring decision. Let's go. And Sean went and he fought his fight and he did the things that he has been doing this whole way through. And I know I didn't pick him and I know I haven't picked him in his last few fights. But if you listen back to any time he steps into the cage and any time I talk about Sean or write about Sean or things of that nature, I have made a point and will continue to make a point similar to Colby Covington. You can dislike the person, but you have to respect the fighter from a skill and talent and difficult opponent setting. He is a pain in the ass and he put it on Israel Adesanya on Saturday. Now it wasn't some wipeout beating. And I actually liked the fact that it was 49, 46 across the board and they went 25 minutes because it means Izzy had every possible opportunity to make adjustments, to dial it up, to go out there and go head hunting, to try to get Sean out of there. And he couldn't, and he didn't. And Strickland just kept coming forward. As Tyson Chartier and I talked about on the coach conversations, Sean isn't a guy that's going to go hundred. He's going to go 65, 75 for 25 minutes. And that's what he did Saturday. And rather than trying to find ways to take away from what he did and question all the things that went wrong on the other side. Let's talk about all the things he did right. All the stuff that that team and that camp put together and executed flawlessly on Saturday. I know that people don't like him. I know that there's a whole host of people that woke up this morning to find out that Sean Strickland is the middleweight champion and feel like the world is ending because he's a dickhead. Because he's an intentional asshole. Because he says some absolutely abhorrent, heinous shit at times. I understand all of that. And if you want to knock him for that, by all means. And I'm not saying you have to support him as a fighter. And you have to cheer for him or root for him or anything like that. But he went out in the octagon on Saturday. And did what he was supposed to do. And handled his business. And did very, very well. And I, I won't sit here 
and take away from that because I don't like him, because I feel a certain way about him, or because I think Israel Adesanya had a bad night. The two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. It doesn't have to just be, did Sean Strickland win or did Israel lose? Sean Strickland won. There's a better version of Israel out there. And maybe we'll see it in a rematch somewhere down the line. We'll get to that later on in the show. But he did what he had to do. And we have to give him his credit for it. We have to. Or else we're just doing more of the stuff that I talked about already. We're just doing more of the finding ways to, to pull negatives and tear people down. And it's, it's so frustrating. It's so disappointing to see after all of these events. Another piece of this to me, and I struggled with wanting to tweet something out about it. So throughout the broadcast, they ran various pieces of the countdown program where Sean Strickland talked about his motorcycle accident, the injuries he sustained, the long road back, being told that he wasn't ever going to fight again, any of that stuff. And I saw a bunch of people that did the like, man, I, I never knew this stuff now that I see it, now that I hear it. I really, you know, I, I have a different appreciation a little bit for Sean Strickland, or I look at him a little differently because he's showing a different side. And the thing that I struggled to not tweet out and I didn't tweet it out. And the reason I didn't is because I've been conditioned not to, I've been conditioned not to puff out my chest, not to stand on this here soapbox and shout about myself and my team and get mad about stuff, but I'm going to now because this is my platform and that's it. And you're listening because you choose to listen to me. And I thank you for that. But I wrote that story ahead of his return fight against Jack Marshman talking about the toxic environment that Sean Strickland grew up in talking about the motorcycle accident that nearly took the one thing he loves in life away from him and the long road back and the expectation of doctors that he wasn't going to fight and what it all means for him to be here. And it's very hard for me as somebody that puts as much time and energy and effort and passion and care into these things to see a whole bunch of people not pay attention to it at all, but pay so much attention to stuff that doesn't matter to stuff that doesn't matter. People talk all the time about wanting to know more about these athletes and get to know who these people are and the UFC needs to do a better job of promoting them and this, that, and the other. We write about these men and women every single week on UFC.com. Those pieces are there. I tweet out all of my stuff. I IG all of my stuff. You, The audience has had every opportunity to know these stories. And if you don't choose to seek it out, that's not anybody's doing other than you. And it's, it's really, truly difficult for me to sit here and know that I've put that story out there and people only heard about it and found out about it and really got into it three years later. Cause it feels like a representation of the things that I struggle with all the time and the things that keep me up at night. Sometimes of people saying exactly what I just said, man, where did this person come from? I wish I knew more of his story. Well, that story's there. It's out there. And yet, whether it's because it's me 
because it's UFC.com or because it's not one of these other famous, well-known, established people at big fancy sites with greater reaches, it just goes unseen and it's so disappointing to me because I think it changes the way. I, I mean, we saw it. I saw it on Twitter yesterday. I saw people saying it changes the way I think about Sean Strickland. But what they consume and what everybody takes in is the nonsense and the horse shit and the social media stuff that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter in the least. And maybe I am the outlier. Maybe I am crazy for saying it doesn't matter. Because certainly in this day and age, it is a huge thing. And I get that I am an old coming up on 45 who doesn't get social media the way that some of these people get social media. But like, man, we're out here putting together these, these stories on these men and women every single week that tell you the things that you say you want to hear and they fall on deaf ears only for a couple years later it to get told and people be like, man, I wish I knew that before. Well, we tried. We're out here trying every week. Shouts to Zach, shouts to Mackenzie, shouts to Madden, shouts to the godfather, Tom Jabasi, shouts to Kevin Schuster, Gavin Porter, Steve Luttrell, the whole crew. We're out here trying and the countdown crew and the embedded crew. We're out here trying to give you what you say you want. Come and see us. Come and follow us. Come and pay attention because we're giving it to you all the goddamn time. I want to circle back to the first of these, the we need to have a conversation about the sister piece of this is the it's time to put some respect on such and such his name. And I saw this last night in great, in great force with Eric Nixick. And I saw it from people that I respect. I saw it from people who I admire, who I consider friends, who I consider great people in this sport, great voices to pay attention to. And I responded to it late at night because I saw it a bunch. And I just said, like, listen, if in September, 2023, you didn't respect Eric Nixick before last night, you're out of your goddamn mind. My guy has been one of the best coaches in this sport for quite some time. He is a fantastic coach. That is undeniable. That is unquestionable. And if it took last night for you to finally decide that you agree with that, then you have been in the wrong this whole time. And this is what I mean about we have this, it's almost like we have this inferiority complex, but we also have this want to tear everybody down thing. Everybody wants to come out and make it like they got all these haters and that people are running around here not respecting Eric Nixick. My man is one coach of the year before. He's up for coach of the year again this year. People that know, smart people, the people you should pay attention to and listen to have been telling you, will keep telling you who the really good people in this sport are, who the people you should pay attention to and follow and appreciate and listen to are. And we've been telling you for years that Nixick is a great coach. So miss me with the, it's time to put some respect on his name. You should have been putting respect on his name for a long goddamn time now. This isn't the first world champion he's helped forge. This isn't the first person he's helped carry to championship gold. Do you know how hard it is to craft world champions in this sport? To guide people to the absolute summit of any division in the UFC, never mind other promotions? This isn't the first time. The respect should have been there before. And if it wasn't, 
That's on those people that aren't respecting them. We need to stop listening to and amplifying idiots in this space. People whose opinions do not matter. And we need to stop framing it like these folks don't have respect. Eric has the respect of everybody that matters in this sport. Everybody that understands and is somebody whose opinion should matter has a high opinion of Eric Nixick. I have not heard in any of my interactions, and I talk to coaches every single week, I have not heard a single person speak bad of him, say anything ill of him, have a bad interaction with him. I'm sure there are some people that they've got beef, that they've got, you know, tense relationships or whatever it may be. Fine. Not everybody has to be best friends, but everybody that matters already respects him. And so we need to stop with this, put some respect on that person's name. The respect is there. It's due. It's earned a long time ago. And we as voices in this sport need to make sure that we are telling people that rather than doing the like, man, this guy hasn't been getting, no, Eric gets respect. Yes, he deserves more this morning and he deserves praise for the work that he did in Sydney and the work that he's done with Sean over these years. I'm not saying that he doesn't. And Bubba knows this. He knows how I feel about him. But we got to stop doing this, doing this shit, man. We got to stop tearing people down and pretending like people aren't appreciated. Because when we as the loudest voices and smartest people in the room make it out that these people aren't appreciated or that Eugene Behrman needs to be a discussion point because maybe he's not that good of a coach overall, that's what spins out into the world. That's what spins out and spreads out through the community. Well, these people didn't respect him until Saturday and they're supposed to be the people that know the most. So maybe we should start respecting him now and maybe this is the point where he finally gets some respect. Nah, earned it a long time ago. Been a terrific coach. Just saw it again on Saturday. Now to something less vitriolic, something less fired up. The broadcast for UFC 293 was my favorite broadcast of the year. And it's not just because I've been fortunate to be chronicling Laura Sanko's progression from contender series to road to UFC to call in a fight night to now calling a pay-per-view. It is because it was what I want from a sports broadcast, from an announced team. I tweeted during the event that the tenor and the tone of the broadcast, it was quieter, it was more reserved, it felt cleaner and more professional than any pay-per-view broadcast we've had in a little while. That's not solely Laura's doing, but I think as we've seen, the combinations of people in those seats certainly plays a role in how those broadcasts run. And I think her reserved nature, her not being over the top, her not being somebody that runs on 12 all the time helped bring Daniel Cormier, keep Daniel Cormier, I should say, in check a little bit. We didn't have the DC and Rogan going off on tangents. We didn't have all the screaming about chokes that are close. And anytime somebody gets knocked out, it sounds like 
somebody has swallowed a microphone just so they can shout about somebody falling over as if they've never seen somebody fall over before. The whole broadcast was just clean and fresh and smooth and it felt great. And I was really happy to see after the fact that Dana White right away said, Laura Sanko will be on more pay-per-view broadcasts. I said last week and, and in the last couple of weeks that my guy, John Gooden, needs to be on more broadcasts, pay-per-view or otherwise. Paul Felder needs to be on more broadcasts, pay-per-view or otherwise. No disrespect to Rogan, to Dominic Cruz, to Michael Bisping, but there are, or DC, there are some talents in that room that deserve greater opportunities. And I think we saw on Saturday the impact, the influence that working different combinations can have on the experience. I would really love to hear from people what they thought of the broadcast, what they thought of the commentary team and the execution of things. Because I thought it was tremendous. I'm somebody that is usually really critical of the broadcast crew because it's something, one, that I grew up paying a lot of attention to. Two, I think is integral to the experience. And I thought they did a phenomenal job on Saturday night. So shouts to John Anik, to Daniel Cormier, to Laura Sanko, to Megan O'Levy, to everybody behind the scenes. This was a phenomenal broadcast through and through. Unmatched professionals, as I said on Twitter. Great team, great broadcast. Give me this group more often. Give me more Gooden. Give me more Felder. Let's go. All right, let's get into some matchmaking here as we wrap up the next day takeaways for UFC 293 presented to you by One Bone. We will start as we do in this section, working from the bottom up. So the UFC 293 opener, Kevin Doucette defeated Kiefer Crosby, then stood in the center of the cage. And for a minute, it sounded like he was going to call out Conor McGregor himself, which would have been wild. But I actually think it would have made more sense than him calling out Ian Gary. Because, you know, Ian Gary just just put out a guy or put a beating on a guy a couple weeks ago that's been a top 15 fixture for a number of years. Conor McGregor hasn't won a fight in a minute, so that may have made more sense. But regardless, I appreciate you shooting your shot. I appreciate you taking your opportunity. That ain't happening. Let's give Kevin Doucette Demba Garimbo. So Garimbo got his first win last time out in his second appearance. He since, of course, has risen to... A little bit of internet celebrity, a little bit of internet notoriety for posting his bank account and being down to seven bucks when he moved to Florida to further his career. The Rock then, of course, visiting him at the MMA Masters facility and gifting him a home, gifting him an apartment to live in and all of those things. That feels like the right kind of matchup to me. Two guys that each have one victory in the UFC are... 30 and up. I believe Temba Garimbo is 32 years old. Kevin Doucette is 30 years old. It's one of those situations where there's not a lot of reason to slow play this and bring them along against somebody that's coming off a loss or a newcomer. Get them in there. See who moves forward. Easy peasy. Away we go. For Gabriel Miranda, I wrote about this in 10 Things We Learned. I'm mad that I didn't, that I wasn't in on Gabriel Miranda here. This was a classic. Did did okay or lost to a really good fighter in his debut and then moved down a division and showed out the way he had previous to that debut. Lost to Benoit Saint-Denis in his debut. Moves down, rolls through Shane Young. Great performance. For me, 
I think you give him somebody like Luis Saldana. He's a little bit older in Miranda. He's a little bit older than sort of a typical prospect. I don't think he's somebody that wants to slow play this and take his time and sort of work his way methodically, five, six, seven, eight, nine fights, matriculate his way up the rankings. Saldana's unbeaten in his last two, coming off a draw against Sean Woodson. Hasn't fought in a little over a year now, I believe. Feels like just one of those make sense matchups to me. We need to see if Saldana can really dial this in and be somebody that is worth continuing to invest in and continuing to run out there. Miranda's coming off a great performance here. Feels like a fight you can stick on the prelims of a fight night show, either in Brazil, where Miranda is from, of course, or any of these Apex shows. Get him out there. See who moves forward. Keep progressing these people through. We need to we need to speed things up a little bit rather than slow play them. For Charlie Radke, honestly, as I said earlier, you can cut him and I wouldn't be upset about it. Be perfectly fine with it. If you're giving him another fight, let's see him in there against somebody like Gilbert Urbina. Urbina returned after, so he lost the middleweight tough finale on season 29 to Brian Battle. Was off for a long time, came back and earned a really terrific performance. Delivered a really terrific performance in his second fight back down at welterweight. So let's just see it. I wasn't impressed at all with Radke against Blood Diamond. Like I said, going into it, this is one of those things of like, can you show me that you could do more than just get by against this guy? And he didn't, he couldn't. And so let's just get him in there, get somebody that's going to go upside his head and see if he has anything stupid to say after the fight. For Nasrat Hakparast and Jamie Malarkey, this one's easy, put them together. Timelines line up, but they're also both in the same sort of position, right? For me, they are second 15 fighters in the lightweight division. They've both shown moments where they've started moving forward and gotten close, but then every time they do, they have that setback. So rather than give them each a veteran name a little further ahead of them, have them meet next time out, and then the winner goes forward into one of those face a veteran higher up in the second 15 kind of fights. And the loser just stays where they are and is basically resigned to, this is who you are going to be in the UFC. Both are still south of 30. Both are coming off solid performances that were good, but not great. And I think for each man, if you ask them, if you gave them the truth serum, they would tell you, that they were tougher fights, more difficult fights than they anticipated. I think we saw Jamie Malarkey start fast and fade. I know a lot of people scored that fight for John McDessie. I think Hack Paras expected to go out there and run through Landon Quinones. I expected him to. That didn't happen. So get them in there together and just see which one of them gets more of a push going forward, gets to continue being that progressing lightweight rather than trying to get both of them going and probably invariably running into that veteran challenge that they haven't been able to pass yet. For Chepe Marichal, who defeats Jack Jenkins, an arm injury, knocks Jenkins out of the fight. I set this one up a couple of weeks ago. Dawoon, not Dawoon Jung, my apologies. Sung Woo Choi got a victory a couple of weeks ago. I said at the time, put him in there with the winner, Chepe and Jack Jenkins. Still like that fight. 
Chepe is just a tough out, man. He is a guy that is just going to be in your face and miserable to put away, and he can deal with whatever you throw at him. Jack Jenkins was all over him and looked great in the first round, and in the second, Chepe was just right there, back in his face, pushing him against the fence, grinding, 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 forcing Jack Jenkins to change things up. The end came the way it did. He's now 2-0, and two wins in under three months since getting called up to the UFC. Get him in there with somebody that'll get into a brawl with him, but showed last time out that he's starting to be a little bit more patient, a little bit more measured, has some power, will have a size advantage, will have a speed advantage, and will force Chepe to be Chepe. And at the same time, Chepe can force Sung Woo Choi to be at his best and show that he has really dialed in some of that stuff as he showed last time out. For Carlos Alberg, the call out of Dominic Reyes. So when he set this one up, I thought he was going to call out Anthony Smith, which would have been, I mean, it's a bit of a reach, but it would have made more sense. Calling out Dominic Reyes is just like, I'm sorry, you, you can't call out that man. He's lost four straight fights. He's been knocked into oblivion in the last three of them. That's not a man you call out. That's not a like, hey man, if you want to get this, I don't think he wants to get it. I think he is understandably taking some time off to reevaluate things. And that's a weird call out. What I think should happen next for Carlos Alberg is just another little step up in competition. Give him the winner of Iwan Kutilaba and Felipe Lenz that takes place next month. I know that is not sexy at all for a guy that's on a five fight winning streak. And it'll mean he's in there with somebody that's either won two straight in Kutilaba or I believe four straight in Felipe Lenz. And it's not somebody with a number next to their name. And when you've won five straight, that's what you hope for. But like pairing him off with Dustin Jacoby feels like a slap in the face to Dustin Jacoby, who went out, fought backwards in the rankings, got a good victory, and should get to fight forward. Pairing him up with Anthony Smith, who's coming off a tough win over Ryan Spann. Doesn't feel like the right thing for Anthony Smith. Pairing him up with Ryan Spann feels like you're not real. It feels like you're almost setting him up to lose. Whereas if you pair him off with the winner of Kutilaba and Felipe Linz, it's somebody that's on a winning streak. It's two guys that are moving forward. And then the winner takes that next step and faces somebody with a number next to their name after that. On to the main card, Tyson Pedro. I want to see him fight Alonzo Menafield. Menafield is ranked. He's coming off a submission win over Jimmy Crute. Last time out, he has largely been very good over his last few fights since aligning with Pat Barry. It feels like the right kind of test for Tyson Pedro at this time. More and more, the fight with Modestus Bukoskis, as we learned after that fight and again yesterday, dealing with some sickness, a stomach bug going into that fight. It's starting to look like a little bit, not an asterisk, not an outlier, but just one of those ones that we can't put a whole ton of stock in because of the reduced state of Tyson Pedro. Now, I don't want to overplay knock it out Anton Turcali, who is 0-3 now in the UFC and clearly does not belong competing at this level. But that's why you put him in there with a guy like Menafield, who is somebody that will make you pay for mistakes, that is somebody that can send you into next week if you leave your chin out there, but is also somebody that is not unbeatable for someone like Tyson Pedro. If he is progressing, if he is picking up this city kickboxing system and developing as a fighter, 
then this is a winnable fight. It should be an explosive, entertaining matchup. There are two guys that go out there and leave it all in the cage and are hunting for finishes. Feels like a really explosive matchup. Put it in the middle of a fight night event. Main card, third fight, fourth fight. Feels like a good fight to me. For Justin Taffa, who has now won three of his last four by first round stoppage. What about Martin Budai, who is unbeaten in the UFC, coming off a first round submission win over Josh Parisian, my doppelganger, apparently, by Kimura, of all things. Just feels like the right kind of two guys on the fringes of the top 15, not quite ready to face those names that are in the rankings, feel like they need one more, feel like I need to see a little bit more from them before I put them in there. And part of it too is I don't want to stick them in there with somebody that's coming off a loss, that has had several losses up ahead of themselves in the rankings because then there's the potential of just propping up that already proven, already sealed fighter like a Jarzinho Rosenstrike, like a Marcos Rogerio de Lima, like a Marcin Taibura. Those fights will still be there down the road. Let's have these two fight now. Let's have Tafa and Budai fight now. Get the winner continuing to move forward. Then face one of those guys. Then face somebody in that lower third or lower half of the heavyweight rankings. For Manel Cape, this one's obvious. It's Kaikara France. It should be a main event. It ideally would be in Auckland, New Zealand. Um, or Vegas or wherever. It can be anywhere. Give him five rounds. Pair him back off. Not just because of... so. One, the heat, the tension between the two makes it obvious. But also, it's the kind of fight I need for both guys. I need to see Manel Cape in there with a top five fighter in the flyweight division and see if he can win the, win that fight. Because so far, just according to the records in the UFC, he's 0-2 against ranked fighters and he's beaten everybody else. But the win on Saturday over Felipe Dos Santos wasn't as easy, wasn't as clean as I think Manel Cop or any of his people would have anticipated it to be. I came away from that fight more impressed with Dos Santos than anything else. And so stick him in there with the former interim title challenger, who I felt won his fight against Amir Albazi earlier this year. But regardless of the scoring of that fight, regardless of the result, is an established top five guy in this division that has power, that has speed, that'll meet him in the center of the cage and trade shots with him, similar to how Dos Santos did on Saturday. And then you add in the heat, the tension, the rivalry. Feels like a no-brainer. Give him five rounds. We need more flyweight main events. That feels like an easy one. For Alexander Volkov, he's going to get the same treatment as Cyril Gan did last week after his victory. And we're pressing pause till November. I said this last week. I will reiterate it now. I want to wait and see what happens between John Jones and Stipe Miocic at Madison Square Garden and in the aftermath of that fight before I make any decisions about how I'm booking out the heavyweight division going forward. Because what happens there and what each of those men choose to do going forward has obvious ripple effects and impact on the rest of the division. So rather than go through and make fights now and rush to get these guys rebooked, let's press pause. Let's wait two months. Let's see what happens. And when the smoke clears, 
from UFC 295. I will, as I said last week, jump on the Keyboard Kimura podcast and do a full matchmaking the heavyweight division podcast, top to bottom, pair everybody off. I will spend days on the whiteboards making this all work. So for now, celebrate the victory, enjoy the victory, showing that he is continuing to develop and evolve and improve. Three straight stoppage wins. Ezekiel Choke gave the shout out to Alexi Olinick for showing it to him. Great performance overall, but let's just wait and see what happens in New York. Which brings us to Sean Strickland, the new middleweight champion. So I will start by saying what I don't want to see, and that is an immediate, immediate rematch with Israel Adesanya. That is not because of Izzy's record recently or anything like that. It is the fact that this was 49-46 across the board. There are no questions for me about this fight. This wasn't, hey, it was close. Hey, it was a flash knockout, anything like that. Sean Strickland dominated that fight. It was the start of Israel's second reign. He hasn't been stationed at the top of the division for this whole entire time. And so because we have some other people that are in line and we could very well have more after next month's pay-per-view in Abu Dhabi, depending on how things shake out between Hamzat Chemaev and Paulo Costa, let's let Izzy take a break and reset and let's let Sean Strickland fight somebody new. And I do mean somebody new for Sean Strickland. And that is Drickus Duplessis. Because if not for an injury and Duplessis being unavailable, Sean Strickland would not have been in that fight, would not have won the middleweight title. And so it's a little bit of paying it forward. It's a little bit of paying it back. Now, I understand Aaron Bronstetter's excellent argument on Twitter that people are overlooking Jared Cannonier, and it sucks for Jared Cannonier because less than a year ago, he earned a split decision win over Sean Strickland, and then he followed that up with a very good performance against Marvin Vittori. He weighed in on Friday morning as the backup for this fight. He was in Sydney, so he feels like a guy that is next. But Duplessis was next before Sean was next, and I don't think you can bump him all the way out of line. Now, remember, please, ladies and gentlemen, that this is just me matchmaking from my office on Sunday, September 10th in Abbotsford, British Columbia, Canada. This isn't the UFC making decisions. This isn't putting all the thoughts and all of the everything that they're going to put into these decisions on the table. Could I see Duplessis losing his place in line? Absolutely. There are options. As I said, Cannoneer is there. If Chemayev looks great against Paulo Costa, he's certainly there. Dana White said on Saturday that he's very much interested in a rematch. So we could see that again. But if I have the book, if I'm the one making the call, I do Sean Strickland versus Drickus Duplessis. I do it in Las Vegas. I let Sean headline at T-Mobile. Maybe not. Maybe maybe you don't even have him headline. Maybe you stick it as the co-main event with the light heavyweight championship bout, whatever that's going to be as the main event, depending on what happens with Jamal Hill, whether he relinquishes the title or whatnot. But like... Sean won. Izzy lost clearly. We don't need to run this back yet. Let's let's let Israel go out and get a couple good wins and show that he's still dialed in, still absolutely elite, able to bounce back from this loss the way that he bounced back from the Pahea loss. 
it's totally different to me than the Pahea loss, right? That was the first loss in the division to lose the title. They have history. It was the fifth round. Izzy was winning that fight all the way along until he lost it in the fifth. That made sense. Running this one back doesn't. Sean Strickland won this one going away. He gave Israel every opportunity. He stood in front of him in the final 30 seconds with his hands down, calling him on. And Israel didn't have it. And so I don't need to see it again. I don't think a lot of people outside of Team Adesanya are all that pumped to see it again right away. We've got Drikas Duplessis. We've got Jared Cannonier. We may have Hamzat Chemaev. Let's do one of those. Let's let Izzy reset and get moving forward in the, in the new Strickland-led middleweight division. That's it for the program. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. As always, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Spencer Kite. Check out the Keyboard Kimura newsletter on Substack, spencerkite.substack.com. You can subscribe for free for $5 a month or for $50 for the year. Get to everything I put out on the platform straight into your inbox as soon as I hit publish. However you decide to subscribe, I greatly appreciate it. Check out my guys at OneBone, onebonebrand.com forward slash Spencer Kite. If you do purchase anything, when you get to the checkout page, insert the promo code SpencerKite, my name, S-P-E-N-C-E-R-K-Y-T-E, all caps, all one word, 15% off your purchase. It is a one-time use code, but I assure you, if you need more codes, holler at your boy. We will keep working on this because I want more people joining the OneBone community. I got a delivery a couple of days ago. The gear's just so fresh. The gear's just, it's all I wear. It really is. I know I say it all the time and it sounds fake, but every time you see me on camera, I am rocking one bone. Every time you see me outside of my house, I am rocking one bone. It is that good. It is well worth it. Check them out. Thank you for tuning in. I will be back on Tuesday. Harry Powell and I are going to tape an episode of the Keyboard Kimura podcast talking about, as I mentioned earlier, greatness, excellence, how we measure it, how we quantify it, how we talk about it, in the modern current MMA community landscape ecosystem, whatever you want to call it. Really looking forward to that, connecting with the young king again. Until then, take care of yourselves, take care of one another, know that you're loved, check in on your people. I appreciate you. Thank you. Have a great week. Sean Strickland is the UFC middleweight champion. What a world. Talk to you soon.